0: I used to hate life. I wasn't suicidal, but I wanted to die. I was a strong and firm atheist. I argued and debated at will, and you couldn't win. I hated everything. At first, I turned to reading to become happy, which actually helped and got me interested in going to church. So I tried and hated how church people talked down to Catholics and consuming alcohol and I saw it as talking down to your brothers and sisters and judging. I just couldn't understand it. I asked my sister if I could go to church with her, and I know she was like, What? I went to Cross Timbers in Argyle, and I could just feel something overwhelming, like I surrendered. The hate and the fight and the arguing and debates was lifted off my shoulders, and I could finally relax and breathe. But I was still unhappy. I was out drinking for hours one night and got pulled over for a flickering tail light on my way to get food. In the back of the cop car, I felt like I was being shown I needed to change my ways. This was my lesson, this was my choice, and I needed to make a change. Today I have a wife that brightens my day and makes me laugh on the worst days. I have two girls that are indescribable in the best of ways. I changed my mindset. And my life slowly but surely followed. I love life. And I want to live it.
1: Well, you know, one of the grand privileges that I have in getting to do what I do is having a front row seat to literally thousands of stories like the story that you Just heard when I first saw this brother's story on social media it struck me and it struck me because it's really at the heart of what I want to talk to you about this weekend and it's this that someone that your life my life it changes not when I start doing something or stop doing something but it's when I change the way I think A byproduct of changing the way I think is a different way of reacting and living and responding. But way too many of us grew up beginning with what we ought to stop doing and what we ought to start doing and heard very little about changing the way we see and think and perceive our world. And so we're kind of arm-wrestling ourselves, and you know what happens when you arm-wrestle yourself? Sometimes you win, and sometimes you lose. I've been so excited about getting to Exodus chapter 19. By the way, hey everybody, my name is Toby, I'm one of the pastors here. We're doing this 40 series. Back in, back in the day when my kids were little, we would uh, get in, go on these long car trips, Which I like to call hell and uh, (laughs) Inevitably the words would begin Are we there yet? Well We finally got there this weekend In Exodus chapter 3 In the early days of our study God said to Moses Hey a day is coming when you and those people in captivity, they're going to come and worship me on this mountain. It was a place called Mount Sinai. And now in Exodus 19, through a series of supernatural activities of God, they find themselves here in Mount Sinai. I think it is pivotal. It's, um, it is so intrinsic to understanding the story of the Israelites and our story. They spend 11 months at Mount Sinai. I figure we ought to spend two or three weeks together. What do you think? But this is the place where God begins to do his work of changing this slavery mindset of his people. This is the place, I know I say it a lot, it bears repeating, where God begins to get Egypt out of his people. So I want to read the story, I want to give you a few thoughts along the way, a few random thoughts, and then I want to talk to you about what I think God is doing there, what God is doing now, and how God wants to help us find our promised land. Exodus chapter 19, let's let let's read it, it'll come up on the screen, you can follow along with me. In, it says, in the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai, after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob And what you are to tell the people of Israel. And so there's this picture that we're going to see over eight times at Mount Sinai where Moses, where God is going to be up. And Moses is going to come to meet him there. You see, in the Garden of Eden, one of the things that was broken was this intimate connection between God and his people. And he walks with me and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the glory there, if we tarry there, none other has ever known. I come to the garden alone, the old hymn. And since that day, there has been a, in the DNA of every human being, has been a a desire to connect with God. And God has shown up for his people in a, pillar of fire and by a cloud but now God is going to come and he's going to speak directly to his leader Moses and Moses is going to go and let his people know what God has to say would you say that the first words God speaks to his people out of captivity would be very important ones so I want you to listen carefully what he says then he says you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set them before set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, "We will do everything the Lord has said." So Moses brought the answer back to the lord it's interesting that the first words out of god's mouth in this moment that had been promised was this everything that's happened to you since deliverance is because i chose to do it for you do you see it in the language there i delivered you i rescued you uses this beautiful imagery that you can see over and over again in the bible that like on wings of eagles i picked you up And I carried you out of that deliverance. It's very important. God wants his people to know that any good thing that happens is because of God's grace and favor and mercy in their lives. Gratitude is the language of the kingdom. And one of the greatest threats to gratitude is the false belief that we had something to do with our own deliverance. Jeremy, gratitude is the language of the kingdom. And where religion has killed many of us, it has fooled us into believing that we did something, we decided something, we chose something. And because we did that, God moved. No, God's grace moved in us long before we ever moved toward him. That God wants his people From that day and this day to understand that it was by his hand. Any deliverance has come into any of our lives. And now God, with that as a foundation, begins to talk to Moses and his people. About how you get Egypt out of your mindset in your life. He says, number one. I need you to understand who I am. I need you to understand who I am. In fact, one of the greatest shifts in your thinking, write these words down, is this. God is not like me. God is not. You want to get set free. Start living with the basic understanding that God is not like me. In fact, the theme of the next three chapters of the book of exodus what god is trying to get his people to understand is this the whole earth is mine i created it i built it i breathed it into existence everything that ever has been and ever will be it's because of my gracious hand i created it well that sounds kind of arrogant well it deserves to, it's just not arrogance it's reality Everything of God's, everything that we'll ever know is because of God's hand in our life. Do you understand the whole earth is His? I want to tell you what, what, what trips many of us up, what, what we can't seem to get past is, is trying to apply human knowledge to heavenly reality. I mean, we're too... Most of us that have gone to church, we're like too uh, sharp to say this. But here's what we think. Well, if I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. If I had a quarter for every skeptic, agnostic, atheist who have said, Well, there's no way there can truly be a God. Because if there really was a God... This would never happen. It's built on the false assumption that God thinks like you think. Giving human intellect to the reality of a God who owns it all. Now, I'm going to say this. This will set some of you free. It's okay to confess the fact. That God not being like you drives you a little bit crazy at times. I mean, can we just be honest and talk about the elephant there? Like doesn't, am I the only one that God drives crazy? God is rarely in a hurry, and I'm always in a hurry. I live in a world defined by time and space. I want God to do this by tomorrow. I need this to happen by next week. God... I need you, I need this out of my path. I serve a God who stands outside of time and space. To my God, a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years, which sounds really poetic, but it drives me bananas a lot of the time. Because if I was God, I would, and God's not like me. See, God not being like me answers the question, is God's way really the best way? (laughs) Because there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. Why? Because God's way is better. (laughs) Because God's way ain't my way. There are moments in my life where I feel like a pretty good father. There are moments in my life where I feel like I fail as a father. But struggling for human analogy to eternal reality, the writers of the Bible describe God as father, and we think of a father who's a pretty good father and gets it right most of the time. But but there's one perfect father who was and is and is to come, who is willing and working to bring good out of the bad things that you and I experience, that will one day right the scales of justice as he defines justice, and the deliverance that begins to come in my life, not when God operates the way I want him to operate, But when my life is firmly planted in the reality of there is a God and I'm not him. (laughs) And I get released from being the general manager of the universe and let God do what God's going to do. I don't have to like it. Hey, look at me, everybody. I don't even have to understand it. It just is. And sometimes I can hold on to it with both hands. And sometimes I'm clasping to it by my fingernails. And to a man, a woman, who doesn't believe in the existence of God, it seems to be naive at best, Pollyanna at worst. But I believe it is walking by faith that through the filter of my life, that God's ways aren't my ways, His way is best. He disciplines those whom He loves. He is working to leverage bad for good. He is not asleep at the wheel because he's not like me. Quit trying to fit God into your limited box of how the world works. And you will find a freedom that you've been looking for forever. I just want answers. He's the answer. Do you understand that when we sing, there is no one like you? We're not simply declaring praise and adoration. Sweetheart, there's nobody like you. We're saying there's nobody like you because you're not like me. When we sing, our God reigns, we are declaring that we don't reign. That he does. And there's a freedom, a release that comes from resigning as general manager of our universe and trying to control and understand things that we don't have to understand. You can't Google God and figure it out. That is a mind shift that will begin to set you free. It will get you through difficult times. And it will help you keep your faith in the middle of hell on earth. He wanted them to know and us to know that the whole world belongs to him. And it's interesting. He he uses this word in verse 5. If you're circling stuff in your Bible. I don't have it on the screen this weekend. Get this off for a moment. But if you're circle things in your Bible highlight in your you version or however you do it the very important word in verse five is he says now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant everybody say covenant okay I'm gonna give you a little Bible history because this is important for you to understand okay the first covenant that we read about in the Bible comes in Genesis 12 it comes to a man named Abram we know it as a promise but it really is a covenant you remember God comes to this old man and says I mean, make your descendants as numerous as sand on the seashore. I'm going to build a great nation, and through this nation, the whole world's going to be blessed. And Abram, you got to love his authenticity. He says, well, how do I know this is true? And so that night, he took a heifer and a bull and a couple of birds, and he cut them in half. And then the Bible says that this this torch of light goes in between them, and God— and God says, may it happen to me what happened to those animals if what I say doesn't come true. And God establishes a covenant. You remember this? And then the part every Jew wishes he would have left out of the Bible. Because now he comes back and he says, I'm going to give you a child. And the covenant becomes circumcision. And now we're beginning to discover in Exodus 19 that the Abrahamic covenant is beginning to become fulfilled. So God makes another covenant with his people. It's, it's the mis, most misunderstood aspect, in my opinion, of where we walk today. So stay with me for a moment, okay? He says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. If you obey my laws, I'm going to bless you. Okay? We, if you were a Jew, you would know these words as the Mosaic covenant. We have been trained or taught to hear that as the old covenant, right? To fully appreciate a new covenant that Jesus brought when he lifted up the cup and said, This is a symbol of my blood of a new covenant, we have to understand what's being said in the old covenant. So, the old covenant was this that if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then you're gonna be my treasure possession and I'm going to bless you. This is old covenant. New covenant, Jesus comes and says, Because you can't keep my laws, I'm going to send my son to die for you. So if you're wondering if you're not being blessed because you're failing to keep the rules, you are living under an old covenant. The punishment for your breaking the rules, past, present, and future, was paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. but what? So, hang on. Some of you have been going to church your life going, hang on. Be careful there now, Tobe. Now people are going to go out there and think they can do whatever they want to do. It's why Paul said, shall we continue to sin so that grace might abound? By no means. Why? Because we have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, these ten commandments, we're going to begin to break down next weekend. These ten commandments, they were written on stone. Paul says, under the new covenant, they're written on the heart, <laughs> which means, I know this is, you have to look for human analogy, right? This is a poor analogy, but here's the thing. I take my wife out to dinner. I try to make her life easier around the house, not to check a box, but because I love her. Some of you are still checking the box with God and wondering why you're not finding life. It's because you're living under an old covenant. And do not forget that the foundation of everything God is going to say is I love you so much that like on wings of eagle, I have rescued you from your misery. This is an act of love. But old covenant is if you do this, I'll do this. I don't want to get ahead of myself for next weekend, but I'm so stirred up to help you understand what these 10 commandments or these 10 words are really saying, and they're not what most of you are thinking. It's, just, it's a way to look at what God is doing in a way that will give you life. And why I love, why I nerd out in Exodus 19 is because in Exodus 19, this is where we begin to understand Old Covenant thinking. And we really begin to appreciate new covenant thinking. If you do this, I won't treat you this way. And new covenant, you aren't treated the way you're sin, the way you because of your sin, because of Jesus. Old covenant, write it on a stone. New covenant, write it on your heart. He's about to say in a few verses, hey, when Moses goes up that mountain, you better put a fence around it, because if you touch it, you're gonna die. And the writer of Hebrews says, now we come to a mountain where the fences are down, we have complete access to God the beauty of the new covenant comes in understanding what god was intending in old covenant so people could understand how desperate they were for the real grace and mercy that the ultimate covenant giver jesus was going to bring but i digress it begins with understanding a real mind shift begins see i want to change my circumstances don't you God wants to change my thinking. Because if you can change my thinking, my circumstances don't matter. I can live free. Freedom is not what you think it is. It's not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. You don't need a mate, no more anxiety, more money, or less destructive habits to be free. You can be free (laughs) when you change the way you think. And all of that will follow. You with me? It's important to begin to understand. That's a huge shift. Second huge shift. Y'all with me? Y'all stand with me? Everybody say yeah at all of our camps, Yeah, okay, thank you. The first huge shift is God is not like me. Here's the second shift. Write this down. <laughs> this will set you free, but it's just not very American. You ready for it? I have a purpose beyond myself. Let me tell you why lots of you are living in captivity. Because your focus is on God saving you from something, and God wants to save you for something. You can't move in the promised land when when you let your Egypt define who you are. Do you understand the insidious, insidious nature of whatever's in? Brings you into captivity. Do you you understand that, like, the problem is not what you think the problem is. The problem is what you believe about the problem. Like, I know some of you are tired of me talking about it, but it's only, I mean, it's just, it's my life. So I want to share my life, you know, like, so I have an anxiety panic disorder in my life. The problem is not that I have anxiety. The problem is that when I have anxiety, I become narcissistic and it becomes all about me. Do you understand this? (laughs) Do you know how many dozens of people have walked out of my office angry because they want to talk to me about their anxiety, their panic? And because I feel like I have earned the right after 20 years of this battle, go, yeah, that's all true, but guess what? It's still not about you. You still don't get to set the rules. (laughs) There is a God. He's not like you. And God wants to use that issue in your life in some way that you can't begin to fathom and you don't have to like it but you got to keep walking in it right like your problem is not your problem your problem is that you're allowing your problem to define who you are and when you begin to allow your problem to define who you are then you begin to set conditions on what it means for god to be god and for you to be free in other words the purpose of your life becomes about you You really begin to believe, you never admit it, that the reason God flung the stars in the sky, scooped out the oceans with the palm of his hand, pushed up the mounds with his fingertips, is to make you happy. And his job is to make you happy, and you're not happy. So there's got to be something wrong with God. And I'm telling you, he created you not to deliver you from something, but to create you for something. Quit letting your Egypt, define who you are because it is making you narcissistic. It's making you the center of your world. And what you start doing, I'm telling you, I know this from experience. That's why I'm yelling. Look at me. You start looking for God's hand and you don't seek his face. It becomes about what God can do for you, not who God is. Now, you tell me any relationship that's healthy is based upon what somebody else will do for somebody. It's about who someone is. Because he writes it on your heart, not on stone anymore. You with everybody with me? So it's like, well, I'm just well, I hope that makes sense. And I know you got all yelling about it. So you know, you must feel strongly about it. And you guys have figured out they're gone here a while if I yell, it's because it's like I'm talking myself into this and I'm trying I'm preaching it myself because it's true. So this is what I hear all the time. Well, then what was I created for? I just can't figure out what I was created for. Well, here in Exodus 19, God clearly says, here's what you were created for. Let's back up make sure we're all on the same page. He saved you. He delivered you. Your next breath, anything good that happens in your life. Anybody have anything good happening in their life right now? We have no problem raising our hands up for bad stuff. How many of you got something good? One good thing. Anybody? Even the guy over here with his arms that's not playing. You got one good thing? Okay, so anything good in your life, it was because of the mercy and grace of God. Right? Anything good. That's the backdrop for all of this. We're not living under an old covenant. We We don't have to do this with God. Okay, just let me give you this just quickly, okay? Let me fire my gun a little early. You've been thinking your whole life about, I don't want to break God's laws. You can't break God's laws. It's like defying gravity. God's laws will break you. God's not saying do this and do this. God is saying this is how the world works. It's going to be better for you if you get in line with how I created the world. Well, I wish you wouldn't have created the world that way. Well, guess what? You ain't God. I am. Everybody with me? Okay, I digress. So what's our purpose? I told you I was going to rabbit trail just a little. What's our purpose? Well, he says, 19.6, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Everybody say priest. Priest. What's the job of a priest? To point people to God. To help people draw closer to God. A priest... Becomes the conduit by which people experience the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God. You were created for that. I don't care if you're a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, a student. I don't care if you're 21 or 106. If you are breathing, if, you have ever, if you're experiencing anything good, it is so that you might be a priest. So everybody say, I'm a priest. I'm a priest. It's interesting. Old Covenant. We're going to read. And all that stuff that bores you to tears. Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, nobody reads that for fun. All the duties of a priest, all the things that a priest should do to prepare people to meet God, to draw people closer to God. And Peter's going to tell us that in, under New Covenant, we're all priests. That we have the unbelievable privilege of of helping people experience the goodness of God, to experience the nearness and the closeness of God. The reason you're taking another breath is because God defined you as a priest. You have a purpose. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. Your purpose is to be a priest. You want to get set free? Decide that the whole world doesn't spin around you and that God has given you breath so that someone else might experience the nearness and the goodness of God. You're a priest. Number two, now here's the word that trips up church people. Some of you, y'all don't walk out the door. Stay with me, okay? See the next one? You're a holy nation. Everybody say, I am holy. holy. Some of you had a hard time getting it out, didn't you? Because you're thinking, well, I'm not holy. See, under the old covenant, there's chapter upon chapter of detail about Ways that you must purify yourself so that you could come and approach God to make yourself holy. Under the new covenant, the blood of Jesus cleanses you. Past, present, and future. And you are declared holy. Because of what Jesus has done. Now the word holy has lots of different layers of meaning. But let me tell you what I think that God is speaking of here. This layer of meaning. Holy means set apart. It means to be set apart. I have chosen you. I have set you apart. What, what do you mean, set apart? I mean, I, I don't know about you. I grew up in a pretty fundamental religious denomination. So to me, set apart meant, well, set apart means I don't do what other people do. It, it's all about I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go out with girls. You, know, cu- you know, I don't cuss and I don't chew. I don't go out with girls who do. You remember that old line? And So you're, you're peculiar. You're different. You don't do what everybody else does. And let me tell you, there's an element of truth in that, that there is a, a call, um, to a different way of living, that I'm not living for myself. I'm not living according to my flesh, right? But the bigger picture is you were set apart. Well, set apart in what way? Well, you got to go back to Genesis chapter 12, the promise in the first covenant, which is what? I'm going to make you a nation. And for the first time, the purpose of this nation is going to be not to dominate people, but to bless people. You see it, Genesis 12? So now he says, I've set you apart to be the fulfillment of that promise, to be a blessing to others. Now when he goes into the Ten Commandments that we're going to talk about next weekend, the Ten Commandments really can be split into two areas. It's about a relationship with God that affects a relationship with people. So what sets you apart is not what you do or don't do. What sets you apart is how much you love like God loved you. What sets you apart is in a culture that is dividing when you are uniting. In a culture that is being defined by what you're against, it's saying, can we find things that we are for? It's one of the Psalms that's going to say, like oil running down Aaron's field, that's how beautiful unity is to your Heavenly Father. You are set apart because you give people value that nobody else gives value to. That you bring justice and care about justice in places that nobody cares about justice. That you bring honor to places where people are giving dishonor. I know I said this last weekend but it bears repeating again this weekend, that people that don't know God, That when they see that you love them and still yet don't agree with them, it's the most powerful potion on the planet. Because I live in a world that says until you look like, act like, talk like, think like, vote like, and see everything like me, there's going to be division between us. And when I say, you know what, we don't see it the same, but I'm going to love you anyway. That's when a world, that's set apart. That's holy. It's not just a good idea. It's a God idea. That's what it means to be set apart. You are, if you have a breath, you were created on purpose and for a purpose. And it was to be a priest and to show the world what it means to live with the unconditional love of a father. Whose most poetic picture under new covenant is in Luke 15. When a father gave his son... The keys to everything. He took his portion and by his own free will decided to ruin it all, spoil it all, waste it all. And a father would run from his porch to meet that son when he came home. And he wouldn't make him a slave. He'd make him a son. And he wouldn't make him sit at the back of the table. He'd have a seat at the king's table and he'd throw a party. That's the good news of the gospel. And you have opportunity to live your life like that, empowered by the Spirit of God. You are set apart for such a time as this. That's what it means to be set apart, that because of what God is doing here, there's something happening here that's not happening anywhere else. So this is what God created you for. And I think the most beautiful imagery, and there's so much imagery, and I know I need to stop, but there's so much imagery. We'll come back to it next week, I promise. Will you come back? And so We talked about this some more, this important stuff, man. Uh, is the imagery of that people begin to hear God. In other words, your identity can't change until you begin to hear God. <laughs> until you begin to hear God personally for yourself, you can never come through the power of the Spirit to the conclusion that there's a God and you're not him, that God's not like you. Until you begin to hear God in community with others building these relationships that matter, you will always divert back to it's about me, but what about me, but what about me? The key is in beginning to hear individually and collectively to hear God together. Hey, all you teachers, look at me. I am not in the least bit worried about them taking God out of schools. Why? Because you're in schools and you carry God with you. Okay? I'm so tired of hearing believers Let's get petitions about getting God back into school. I got thousands of God containers going back into schools this week and next week in this little portion of the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You hear God. You dispense God. You be set apart. You honor God with your life. Live a different way and love a different way. And people will they will find the Christ that you've given your life for. But it begins with hearing God. It's why the pathway here at CrossFit, it's not a commercial or a slide or a cool thing we're doing. It is our responsibility to help you learn how to hear God for yourself. I didn't come up with it, but some of the stuff they are doing, it's ingenious. It's brilliant. We've had dozens upon dozens of people that have gone through the art of the "Go," And we'll say, well, you heard God. What? We will teach you how to begin to hear God for yourself. I am grateful for the shed blood of a new covenant. I'm grateful that God does not treat me as my sins deserve I'm grateful that I don't have to fear the wrath and the punishment of God, because it was paid for at the cross of Christ. That grace drives me to obedience. (laughs) It doesn't let me off the hook. (laughs) He loves me. He loved me before I could love Him. How could I give Him anything less than my very best? And when my very best is not enough, He'll keep loving me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for a better covenant, a better way. Thank you, Lord, for the... I'm glad you appeared in a cloud. I'm glad that you're appearing to Moses on the mountain. But I'm grateful that you live in me under a new covenant. I think it's so much easier for me to be a follower than it was for the Israelites because your Holy Spirit lives in me. Jesus meant it. He said it. It's better. He went away and now I don't have to go to a mountain. I don't have to go behind a curtain. You live in me. Lord, I would just pray if there might be one hearing my voice in this moment that's never surrendered to you. They're worried about Stop doing something. Start doing something. That you would just reveal yourself to them in this moment. That you are a God beyond comprehension. That does not treat us as our sins deserve. That we might fall in love with this this man named Jesus, who made it all possible. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.